Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying only on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, I'm Ryan Gable. 
and you are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. It is Friday, Good Friday, April 7th, 2023, and The Secret Teachings tonight will take you through the Easter weekend. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. If you log on to the internet, www.thesecretteachings.info is our website. You'll find all of our shows there on the website. You can listen and download them for free. You can also grab a copy of one of my books there on the website. If you're an old subscriber, you can renew your subscription there. Or for new subscribers, check out Aftermath.media, where you can subscribe to The Secret Teachings and to Ground Zero, Clyde Lewis's show, and a bunch of other goodies and perks. That's aftermath.media. And if you're just coming over from Ground Zero, again, welcome to The Secret Teachings. Rounding out the week here on GroundZero.radio. I was reading an interesting statistic. 81% of Americans celebrate Easter in one way or another. And that might not be so much the interesting statistic. I think the interesting statistic is from a Gallup poll that shows as of last year, and we can assume because the numbers have steadily decreased over the last, well, the last half a century, about 97% of Americans believed in God in the late 1940s, early 1950s. That number has steadily declined until we're about uh, 87% in 2017. The most recent poll found that 81% and dropping Believe in God Now in America. A lot of reasons for that. So I find it interesting that about 81% of the country celebrates Easter, and uh, that means more people actually statistically celebrate Easter than the number of people that believe in God, at least statistically. I find that to be an interesting little piece of information. This year, Americans are supposed to, it is estimated by the National Retail Federation, spend upwards of $24 billion on Easter. That's up from $20.8 billion last year in 2022. And uh, the record high uh, was $21.7 billion, uh, billion in 2020. So the number is $24 billion this year. That's a lot of money that we spend on Easter. The average American will spend about $192.01, the highest figure ever recorded the highest figure on record, again, according to the National Retail Federation. So less and less people believe in God, but more and more people celebrate Easter, and more and more people spend more and more money on Easter every year. Easter, of course, is a time where Christians celebrate a festival, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that usually takes place Throughout history, it's been different, but that usually takes place on the first Sunday after the first full moon following the northern spring equinox. On the witch's calendar, many of you know this as Ostara, which has a similar ring to Easter. Easter, Ostara. The Babylonian goddess Ishtar or the goddess Eostra, very, very similar names. And really any goddess or any god or any idea about resurrection and springtime and flowers blooming, etc. These are all things we can associate with the Christian story, all things we can associate with Easter or Esther, all things we can associate 
with the changing of the seasons and the turning of the wheel of the year. Now, for a lot of Christians, I grew up a Christian, still know a lot of Christians. Christians, you know, they celebrate Easter. They buy all the same things that non-Christians buy. They find it fun to celebrate, um, you know, the holiday with, with uh, you know, Easter baskets and little cutout paper eggs or rabbits or those little gel things you stick on your windows or people buy uh, uh, plastic eggs and do Easter egg hunts and all that kind of stuff. We're going to discuss that tonight, where all that comes from, get an idea of why we do the things we do. But uh, a lot of people that are celebrating Easter this year and every year, um, I think uh, most of us just do it because our parents did it. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But uh, I've, I think I've made a career out of asking this question here on The Secret Teachings. Why do we do the things that we do? It's not a question of judgment. It's just a question of curiosity. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we paint eggs with really dangerous food colorings? Why do we uh, put candy into a basket and then give it to our children? Why do we uh, pretend that the Easter bunny arrived? I don't know what your tradition is, but these were things that when I was a kid that were done. Uh, pretending that the Easter bunny was there, maybe putting some dirt on the floor in a couple little spots. Looks like the Easter bunny walked in to the house and left the basket. I don't know if you ever looked at those old pictures of the Easter bunny from like the early, or it was like the early 20th century, mid 20th century. Some of those things are pretty scary. They almost look like some kind of like a horror movie, like that horror Winnie the Pooh movie that came out. They look something like that. They're really scary rabbits, really scary rabbits. Uh, and you know, no wonder, and you look at the pictures, the kids are crying in them because they look terrifying. Uh, Easter has been turned into like every holiday. It's a, an extremely, extremely commercialized event. And, uh, I can look back and I can realize from my own experience, I can recognize from my own experience. I went through a transitional period. I think a lot of people go through this same kind of transitional period where I celebrated Easter because that's what I did as I was, when I was a kid. So I got a little bit older. You know, I got into you know my teenage years and I got out of high school. I I realized it. I recognized it, but I didn't celebrate it. Didn't do anything. You know, I guess part of it's also having kids, or if you're really close to your family. If you're not close to your family, you don't have kids. You know, I was just a kid myself. I was 18 years old. I. I got on my own. I didn't. I didn't celebrate anything like this, but I would recognize it. I knew it was. I knew it was Easter time. I knew it was the spring equinox, etc. And then I went through a transition where I, I really hated it. And a lot of people make uh, make kind of derogatory remarks toward Christmas or Easter, and it's just a commercialized pagan holiday. And I can't say that I'm not guilty of that. And I also stand by that. It is a commercialized pagan holiday. But when I say that, I don't mean to degrade. Easter. I don't mean to degrade the sun or the spring equinox or Jesus Christ or the Christian church or Christians in general or anybody that celebrates Easter or for that matter, Christmas as well. I don't mean to degrade any of those things, those people, those institutions. I just mean it from a factual standpoint. It is a commercialized pagan Christian holiday. And that's that's really um, the cultural uh, aspect of it, 
beyond that, it's actually about what happens to the planet. It's about what happens to the sun. It's about the planet dying in the winter and then being resurrected in the spring. It's about the sun, which essentially dies in the winter. It's at its lowest point. It's not as hot. It's not as warm. Very, very cold. Everything sort of dies or goes dormant. That's the pale horse of the apocalypse, as most of you know. And then the white horse rides upon the earth and springtime comes and everything comes back to life. A lot of different gods are born in March. Like Adis, for example, was born March 23rd. Pretty coincidental, he just happened to be born on the spring equinox. Spring equinox, like the solstices, actually take place technically or I should say esoterically, over a period of three days. So the spring equinox is March 20th through March 23rd. So we can imagine that the original Easter celebrations, and we know some of the original Easter celebrations, were actually in mid-March. They were not the first week of April. But later, when pagan traditions became more Christianized, which is not a debatable thing, and again, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm not trying to dismiss Christmas or Easter or any other Christian holiday. But when they became Christianized, the Christian church wanted to, just like with Halloween as well, for that matter, wanted to separate the pagan elements in the tradition. And so they moved the festival from the spring equinox, which is all that it was. was a, it was an equinox festival and moved it to, eventually moved it to the first, it was, you know, governments and institutions, the church, it was eventually moved to the first week of April, or the first Sunday after the full moon following the northern spring equinox. Which is interesting because as it was moved, you know, originally it took place between March 20th and the end of April because it's a whole, it's a whole month of springtime revival. It's not a singular day, but we've condensed all that into a singular day. And what's interesting about that time period is that we, when it's moved out of that time period and condensed to the first week of April, it's obviously, as everybody knows, when's Easter, it's after the first full moon uh, following the, the spring equinox. So the full moon plays a really important role in Easter, not only because of Ishtar or Eostra, not only because of Ostara, not because of the goddesses and the feminine associated and linked to Easter, but because the moon, if you study mythologies, you'll find that the moon has a really uh, direct connection to a lot of the symbols that are associated or that we associate with Easter. For example, the moon is known as a kind of cosmic egg. The moon is also associated with the rabbit in Eastern and Western mythologies. And different cultures obviously believe different things. Different uh, traditions hold different beliefs and different values. But generally speaking, the moon, it's a reflector, it's a mirror. It's also a giant egg in the sky. And quite literally an egg, as many of us know, NASA has shown that the moon is partially hollowed out in the middle so it's kind of like a hollowed out egg or an egg that's been broken open. And the rabbit is often depicted as being on the moon or having an association with the moon in some capacity. Uh, you can find 
if you are interested, you can find depictions of, uh, I can give you one example if you'd like to look it up. Uh, in Japanese folklore, rabbits are sometimes shown with a, uh, a little a device, a mortar and pestle on the moon or near the moon, pounding the elixir of life. And the moon really is a, a thing that brings us life. It is an elixir of life. Um, humans probably existed on planet Earth before the moon. There's records of that uh, in some of the mythologies, uh, Greek mythology. But uh, it's unlikely that humans would have developed in the way that we have developed without the assistance of the moon. So the moon really gives us life. And it's also a reflector of the divine light of the sun and those things that are beyond the mundane physical, the spiritual sun, the intellectual sun, the trinity of suns, intellectual, spiritual, and physical sun. And, it, and the moon has its own triplicity as well, the triple goddess, the waxing, waning, and full. And then it reflects that light onto the earth. And so that light, that divine light from the sun, is kind of like the elixir uh, or the elixir of life. And the rabbit because the rabbit is associated with the goddess, uh, femininity, uh, fertility. The moon is also associated with these things as well. And as a result of that, the rabbit is directly linked to the, uh, to the moon and uh, directly linked through the reflection of the sun to the elixir of life. And that is, to me, uh, an, an utterly fascinating uh, series of correlations and when I learn things like that and when I read about things like that and put these things together, I find uh, it to be very empowering and enlightening. And it actually makes me want to, I don't want to say participate because I don't decorate for Easter, but it wants me to at least enjoy, I want to, it makes me want to enjoy the holiday because it, it is a holiday. It's a holiday. It's a holy day. It's what it is. For the sun, for Jesus, for the moon, for eggs, for the hair, for the rabbit, for whatever it is that you celebrate or believe, it's a holy day. And it makes me want to celebrate it more because now I understand why these things uh, are the way that they are. Uh, if you're interested in looking up that rabbit on the moon, it's, uh, let's see here, it's 1867. You could probably just type in, uh, it's by Mori Ippo, M-O-R-I-I-P-P-O. Two different names, M-O-R-I-I-P-P-O, 1867, rabbit pounding the elixir of life. And you can see the rabbit pounding that elixir of life. Uh, very simplistic, aesthetically pleasing, classical Japanese art in that, uh, in that depiction. So the rabbit, the egg, the moon, these are really cornerstones of the Easter celebration, the Easter tradition, the Easter festival, etc., and those are the things that are really commercialized and turned into paper and plastic. And we buy a lot of them every year. In fact, again, we're buying $24 billion. The National Retail Federation estimates this year. It's a lot of money. $24 billion is the all-time record. It's estimated that, that it's going to be going to be spent this week when it's all said and done. That's, an, that's a record for uh, Easter. And uh, they, they estimate 81% of Americans celebrate the holiday Despite the fact that according to a Gallup poll, about 81% or less, a little less than 81% now, because uh, this was Gallup poll was last year, a little less than 81% actually uh, believe in God. You don't have to believe in God to celebrate Easter, of course, 
But uh, more people are celebrating Easter. Halloween uh, is uh, the number of people that celebrate Halloween and the amount of money spent is increasing. I'm not sure about Christmas, but Halloween and Easter are increasing. More people are celebrating holidays and spending more money on holidays. But that, you know, I don't know if that's adjusted for inflation, right? So you're spending more money or you buy as much stuff. That's, of course, a question. I'd assume that it is because it's the National Retail Federation. It doesn't specify in this article. But also when people are having, you know, tough times, uh, hard times, they tend to spend more money on things like this because they want an out. Uh, we actually, when I went to film school, and one of the things we learned in film school was that during the Great Depression, one of the things that flourished more than anything else that made some of the some of the largest sums of money was the movie theater. People wanted an out from the economic turmoil, so they went and spent the little bit of money they had at the theater. And that is, I think, what's happening to a lot of our holidays. More and more people are spending more and more money. I mean, again, depending on if you adjust for inflation, but spending more money because times are tough. Times are always tough, but we always we always like to say that times are tough. So they spend more money on these holidays and celebrate them with uh, all the fixins. So less than 81% of Americans believe in God, meaning more people actually celebrate these holidays than believe in God or believe in God's son or believe in the things that um, really were the foundation for the modern commercialized version uh, and the institutionalized uh, uh, federalizing of these holidays. Uh, when you trace them back, of course, they have nothing to do with Christianity. They have, well, I mean, I can, I, you can't really say, actually, I can't say that. that I, I misspoke. They do have a lot to do with Christianity. Christianity is not much different than the, the, the conceptualizations of nature that you find in pagan beliefs and Wiccan beliefs. I know this because I've studied Wiccanism and paganism extensively, and they're not very, they're not very different conceptually from each other. Uh, that's not the point of tonight's show, but I, I, I need to correct myself because they do have, Christianity has a lot in common, and uh, they influenced each other. Uh, in a lot of ways. But again, just because Christianity took a lot of their, um, let's call it a lot of a lot of their symbols or traditions or whatever from paganism, that doesn't mean that the Christians uh, just stole everything because they, they didn't. Uh, and if people believe that, then obviously they don't understand that whatever we, it is that we consider paganism to be a Wiccanism, have you interpret that, well, that is a relatively more recent uh, addition to uh, cultural anthropology, if you will, or sociology, the way that we, why we celebrate things, etc. And it goes back much, 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 much further. Uh, how, how do you define paganism? Because if you say Christians just stole from pagans, well, pagans, I guess, again, depending on how you define them, they just stole their beliefs then from generations past that had other, had other belief systems. So it's, Everybody's just taking from each other, and it's not necessarily stealing. It's taking things and adapting them and adjusting them to the times, adjusting them to the uh, to to the to the the, the changes in uh, psychology, uh, in in the way that we see the world, uh, in uh, the way that our civilization is 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 growing and progressing, and what we need 
uh, culturally as a tradition or a, a, a whatever it is. We there's 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 so much involved here. It's not a black and white issue at all by any means. Uh, Easter also has more than just the egg and more than just the bunny. Obviously, uh, the candy industry makes a lot of money during Easter and a lot of money during Halloween. These are their their spring and their fall times where they make uh, a lot of their profits because that's what people want. They want the candy. Lots and lots and lots and lots of candy. Uh, Personally, one of my least favorite candies for Easter was always the malted milk bowl. I thought those were so gross. I did like the peeps, though. I was a, I was a peep fan. Uh, that is until I learned what was in the peeps. <laughs> and then, uh, well, I just I want to peep up about it and always tell people what's in the peeps because they're 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 pretty gross. Uh, and they actually just they released the what was that TV show called? The Food That Built America. They just had a new episode about the peep. And uh, in that episode, they showed, you know, how the peep was cr- originally it was it was ha- the peep was handmade. Every single peep was handmade and it took hours and hours and hours to hand make these peeps. So once the company, I think it was I think they, they sold the company and then the new company that bought them, they went in and they removed like the little because co- they had complex little details that made them look like little chicks. So they just re- they removed like the wings and uh, removes uh, maybe they, they adjusted the production so that it was just it could be mass produced. But uh, the the peep is something that still contains uh, the one thing they didn't remove is a food coloring, a food dye. I don't think I don't know if they use that in the original peep, but the mass produced peeps used and still use a food coloring, uh, at least one food coloring red three, which is a known carcinogen by the National Institutes of Health. Uh, everybody loves the NIH. They have statues of Dr. Fauci in their home, but probably will be eating a lot of peeps this year, despite the fact that the NIH says Red 3 is really toxic. Uh, their website says, quote, food dyes synthesized originally from coal tar and now petroleum have long been controversial because of safety concerns. Many dyes have been banned because of their adverse effects on laboratory animals or inadequate testing. Red 3 causes cancer in animals, and there is evidence that several other dyes are also or also are carcinogenic. This is also what I find uh, quite funny. All the people that choose to vandalize works of art that are priceless because of oil, even though those priceless works of art were made with plant oils and not the same kind of oil that goes into your gasoline in your car, don't have any issue with the glue that they used to glue themselves to the wall, which is made with the oil that they don't like, uh, or the wrapping of the soup can that's made with oil, or the wrapping of, or the plastic bottle of glue, or the plastic container of glue. Or for that matter, don't you notice that like weird progressive activists always seem to be uh, like the most unhealthy and eat the most disgusting stuff? And guess what they're eating? They're eating food colorings. Food colorings are in everything. And what are they made of? They're made from oil and coal tar. Isn't that kind of ironic? So think about that this Easter when your environmentalist, left-wing, crazy activist friends or family are telling you about climate change while they're stuffing 20 peeps into their mouth. Make sure to tell them what those peeps are made out of. Coal tar and petroleum. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings, and we'll be back after this. Please subscribe to the show, Aftermath.media. Please grab a book, and please listen to the show for free. We get paid when you do that. We'll be right back. 
From para-history and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.com. Info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Hello folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. I hope you find it enlightening. So what do we know so far? We know that the eggs and the rabbit are associated closely with the influence of the moon. Of course, the moon is instrumental in uh, history for making calendars. That's why the months are called months. They're moons. A woman's time of the month is menses, or, you know, it's the menstrual cycle. Menses, the moon, it comes from the same root. Cycles of menstruation the cycles of the moon the moon is considered by some an egg a giant egg in the sky the universe is also considered a giant egg the rabbit is closely associated with the moon probably because the moon is a reflector that reflects the light of the sun both the sun and the moon have triplicities about them the sun has the intellectual and the physical that we see but also the spiritual sun. You can read about those three suns in my book, Occult Arcana, that you can get at thesecretteachings.info. It also has a huge chapter on holidays as well, like Easter. The triple moon, of course, is waning, waxing, and full. And although the triple moon is a really common symbol that you see with people that are witchy or pagany or wiccany or people that are even satany, uh, the triple sun gets forgotten. 
And there's an imbalance there that needs to be rebalanced. That's what we do here on the secret teachings. There's a triple sun and a triple moon. The divine light of the sun reflects off of the moon. And that sun is what gives us warmth and light. And it, well, during the springtime, it brings the world back to life. It resurrects Jesus. It resurrects the world or the sun itself is resurrected because the sun is responsible for whether the earth is warm or cold or if there is life or no life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The moon, of course, with with its associations to the rabbit, uh, fertility, and eggs, uh, and of course the controlling of the tides, water. Uh, it is a very feminine symbol, a very feminine quality uh, that is with the sun, reflecting those qualities: the sun and the moon, the male and the female, the masculine and the feminine, down to earth, and that is a kind of elixir of life we need the moon and we need the sun for life and uh, ancient people actually said that the sun and moon were planets not because they were ignorant but because they were so important for life that the sun and moon the, the ancient sumerians and i'm sure many before that came uh, many came, that came before them rather also saw the sun and moon as planets it wasn't a misunderstanding it was it was intentional so that's the that's the elixir of life, and you can actually find depictions of this. Mori Ippo in eighteen sixty seven depicted a rabbit making the elixir of life in front of the moon. It's a Japanese drawing. A mythical hare inhabits the moon. That's part of Japanese folklore. I'll tell you more about the rabbit tonight, of course, and the eggs and the Easter egg hunting and all of that. We also uh, color those eggs different colors, and there's lots of reasons for that as well. One of the colors we use for those eggs is red. We have our eggs dyed red, uh, red or pink, you know, those pastel Easter colors. But did you know that red three as a food dye is a carcinogen according to the NIH, the National Institutes of Health? According to their website, food dyes synthesized originally from coal tar and now petroleum have long been controversial because of safety concerns. Red, uh, red 3 causes cancer in animals. and There is evidence that several other dyes also are carcinogenic. If you read my book, Food Philosophy, I talk about those food colorings, call them food dyes, D-I-E-S, food dyes. And I show you how toxic and how dangerous, but more so how manipulative the food industry is and whether you like the food and the candy or not that's not really the point for me it's about the industry and about lying to consumers and why would i support a company that lies to me why would i support a company that is actively engaged in trying to deceive me i don't care if you eat the candy i'm just saying i don't want to support the company screw them screw the mars corporation you might know what happened with the secret teachings and the Mars Corporation. Maybe maybe you do, maybe you don't. We don't have time for that tonight. But we have a beef with the Mars Corporation. The Mars Corporation has a beef with us. But that, and, and also we have a beef with Dairy Queen too. But that's that's an older beef. That that beef I think has has spoiled and is is past its uh, past its due by now. But red three, red three is a carcinogen. I find it really strange how there are some people who are so enthralled with the National Institutes of Health. And they're so enthralled with science. And they also hate capitalism and they hate oil and they hate 
fossil fuels. And they glue themselves to walls and try to destroy priceless paintings. And the irony is they glue themselves to walls with glue that's made with actual the, the actual oil they don't like, but the paintings are not made with the same kind of oil. Not all of them anyway. And these are also the same kinds of people who tend to be, well, they tend to look pretty strange and they tend to have some physical abnormalities that are chosen and that are put on display because they don't care what you think about them. It's just really just a big cry for help. And these are also the people that apparently don't really care about health anymore. Liberals used to care about health, but they don't care about health because health is a Nazi thing now, right? Drinking clean water and having good food, uh, that's all white supremacy, we're told by the mainstream media. So these are the same kind of people that'll stuff their faces full of peeps for Halloween 20 peeps, 30 peeps, 40 peeps, 50 peeps, however many they get in their big fat mouths, and then sit there, and I don't care if you eat peeps, I'm just saying they'll sit there and tell you how bad oil and gas and coal and fossil fuels are while they stuff food dyes made from coal tar and petroleum into their mouths. There's no joke there, there's no punchline, that's just a, a simple fact. But it's not just, it's not just peeps, Lots of other candies have that red three in it. Hot tamales. Never really liked hot tamales anyway. Those are those are pretty uh, pretty gross, I thought. Uh, peeps, I did eat peeps when I was a kid. But red three, you can find red three in pretty much anything. If you see anything that says FD&C this or FD&C that, FD&C red three or red three, they have all kinds of different names for them. If you check out my book, Food Philosophy, you can get a digital copy or a physical copy. They're both pretty cheap. It's a smaller book at thesecretteachings.info, www.thesecretteachings.info. And in that, in that book, I show you not only the food colorings, but also the different names of the food colorings. Because they'll name these food colorings, you know, they'll have 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 different names for them. Just like MSG. MSG has all these different names. Like most people are like, I, I don't want to touch MSG. I don't want to eat MSG. But you'll eat other types of MSG, or the same, rather I should say the same MSG, just if it's called something different, because you don't know, because these companies lie, which is just more reason not to support them. According to Consumer Reports, for decades the FDA has been aware of multiple studies showing that red dye and red dye 3 can cause cancer in animals. Several studies have linked artificial food dyes, and there's so many of these, it's not just red 3, uh, this is what I show you in my book, Food Philosophy, to hyperactivity and neurobehavioral effects in children. Yes, all the parents listening, it's not sugar always. It's usually the food dyes that are accompanied by the sugar. And you mix those two together and you have a recipe for a demon child. This is why kids are the way that they are. And when I say the way that they are, I mean beyond the typical behavior of a child. When kids act in ways that are beyond the typical behavior of a child, there's a really good chance they don't have a mental disorder and they're not actually a girl or a boy in the wrong body. It's probably because they've been pumped full of processed, or I should say ultra-processed, hyper-refined sugars, flowers, and, of course, food colorings. And that's what you get in your little delicious peep. So if you want to eat the peep, I don't give a damn how many peeps you eat this year. But you should know 
for your friends at the very least and the family members that are really annoying that hate oil and gas and coal and all the fossil fuels that make the world run, they should know that those peeps are actually made with coal tar and petroleum. Just, you know, if it's just to stick it to them, you know, a kind of an I got you kind of a thing. Maybe I'm just a, <laughs> just, I'm just a, I'm just an ass. I don't know. Uh, but that's, that's, that's the peeps. I just wanted to share that with you. And also to recap the last segment, uh, 81% of Americans celebrate Easter. I assume most of you celebrate Easter. This year, we're going to spend $24 billion on Easter. That's the highest ever on record. Records have also been set in recent years for Halloween, for Christmas. That means more and more people are celebrating holidays. But while more people celebrate holidays, and depending on if the National Retail Federation adjusts for inflation, I'd assume that they do. More people celebrate the holidays, and therefore, you would think more people are religious. But according to a Gallup poll, less and less people believe in God. So less people believe in divinity or God, more people believe in just celebrating the commercialization of the consumerism of it and not looking at the real source of the tradition, whether that's God or whether that's, in effect, the same thing in that of nature and spring equinox, etc. You know, I find it really weird that if you were to... Because I've, I've had this argument. I wonder if any if you have had this argument with somebody. I'd love to hear the story if you want to email me. Uh, rdgable at yahoo.com. When, when you tell someone, like, you celebrate the spring equinox and you don't really celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Oh no, it's that you can't do that. And it, it always confuses me because I think, well, Jesus represents the spring equinox and the spring equinox is something that, you know, God created, right? So like thinking about the spring equinox and recognizing the power of the sun and of nature and the universe and what God created, why is that a bad thing? It's like, they, I never understood why it's, such a bad thing to, to think that there might be life elsewhere in the universe. The Bible doesn't say it. Well, the Bible's also missing like uh, a third or more of its books. So maybe the Vatican has one of the, the texts that say God put aliens on some other planet. Uh, it's just, it's so bizarre. And that's not really Christianity. That's a mockery of Christianity as far as I'm concerned. You know, just like what the, what the Jesuit Pope has done to the Catholic Church. I'm not a Catholic, but the Jesuit Pope, Pope Francis has absolutely destroyed uh, uh, traditional Catholicism. And he really is, I think, uh, the last Pope. Uh, there's a lot more to Easter, though, than just a few candies with some food colorings or some sugar in them. And uh, if you are worried about those kinds of things, uh, there's uh, always uh, the, the vegan options. And, you know, I, I know that when people hear the word vegan, they think, oh, it's healthier. No, actually, most of the vegan options are just as bad as the regular options. People are vegans because they don't want to eat dairy products. They don't want to eat animal products, right? So by choosing a vegan product, you're just you're avoiding the milk, like the milk chocolate. You're avoiding the milk or, you know, I guess depending on what you're eating, actual eggs or whatever it is that you're consuming for Easter. But for those of you who think vegan products are healthier, you're very mistaken. I was mistaken. And you have to learn that vegan products contain the same kind of garbage, uh, the same type of uh, stuff that, I mean, a lot of vegans want to get, they don't want the, the gelatin uh, 
in there. Because if, you, if, if you're taking a pill or if you're like a supplement, a pill, anything, and there's gelatin, and gelatin is derived from the connective tissues of animals. So it's not vegan. Uh, sprinkles that you put in your ice cream, not vegan. Uh, and obviously the milk chocolate is not vegan. So there's a lot of vegan candies that you can get. I'm not going to mention them because I'm not promoting these companies, but a lot of these vegan candies, man, if you read them, I, I mean, you might, honestly, you might as well just eat a Hershey's bar. There some of these things are absolutely just disgusting. Just so, so gross, so disgusting, so gross. Um, actually I will mention one. One of them is divine dark. And I'm pretty sure uh, Divine Chocolate. Let me type this in to make sure. I think they're owned by like, who are they owned by? Oh, no, no, no. I'm actually wrong about that. See, I can admit when I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. I, I was thinking Divine Chocolate was owned by Dove or one of those, one of those other companies. Maybe, maybe they still are. It says Divine Chocolate is owned by Coco Farms. There's a, there is a chocolate bar though. It's called Divine. It's owned by like Nestle or something though. So maybe I'm maybe I'm actually wrong about that. Uh, well, here here's a good example: the Whole Foods uh, dark chocolate bunny. Go read the ingredients for that. Sour Patch Kid gummies. Hmm, really delicious. I'm sure they're gelatin free. Some of them might have like beet coloring instead of red dye, but read those ingredients because they're still probably pretty. Actually, I'm not saying probably. They they actually are still really, uh, <laughs> really gross, really disgusting. So let's get down to the real uh, tonight, not the meat of the matter, but the egg of the matter. Springtime. What does it represent? Most of you probably know. If I told you because you've listened to the show before and because you do your own research, if I told you to write down, you know, what what exactly is the spring or think about it? What exactly is springtime? Flowers blooming, rain, resurrection, warmer days, longer days, shorter nights, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, I'm going to take you through the spring. I'm going to take you through some of the traditions and where some of the traditions come from tonight on The Secret Teachings. We'll start with the month of March. And if you're interested in all of this, you can grab a copy of my massive compendium of occult knowledge, 600 plus pages it is 8 by 11, I think. It's like basically a page of computer paper. A massive compilation, a massive text of occultism. Everything from voodoo and Shintoism to werewolves and demonology and an analysis of mythology as the original form of science, uh, animism, uh, the uh, superstitions and divination and huge chapter on all of the holidays and holy days and mythology and uh, magic from around the world, different practices, uh, talismans. There's so much stuff in this book. It's a huge book. Uh, that's why it's $40 because it's a massive book. And uh, we can drop ship that to you. I do have, I think, three copies that the publisher had sent me and there was like a cutting error on the cover. So there's like a teeny tiny white strip at the top. Uh, and we're, I'm selling those for only $30 and they're autographed uh, with free shipping because I, I got to get rid of them. There's nothing wrong with them except that tiny white strip on the cover, which I also redid the cover, by the way. And the cover, uh, the copies I got that were good, the cover looked really nice. So I redid the cover and I actually changed uh, the subtitle of the book to include all the new additions over the last year. And again, you can find that book at thesecretteachings.info. 
Um, and since it's such a big book and since we make a lot of money off that book, it really supports what we do. We've actually had um, some rough times recently financially. Uh, our Spreaker is down by like $500. So our next payment's going to be 800 bucks. That's all. And if it wasn't for Aftermath uh, Media paying us uh, a little bit, we would be in very serious trouble. So it doesn't cost you anything. Please download the show. Even if you don't listen to it, please download the show from Spreaker. Uh, even if you're a subscriber, please download the free show too because we'll still get uh, some some kickback to that. Uh, stream the show. Just leave it on. Stream it. Just please share it with your friends and family. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, uh, we did our fundraiser for Contact in the Desert and people chipped in and we met that $500 marker. Uh, wish I'm wishing now I would have done it a little bit higher because gas prices have went up so much and the hotel's a little bit more than I thought, but I'm not going to ask for anything else because I you had my word at 500. Uh, I'll make up the difference and pay for the difference. But anyway, the point is, uh, my book, Occult Arcana, you can find all this in. So March, 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 March. March is, kind of think of it like marching into the new year or marching into battle. And in fact, March is named after a god of war, the Latin Mars or the Greek Ares. From the Latin Martius or Mensis is derived the month Mars. The Anglo-Saxons called this month, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Hered Monat. I know Monat is month. It means rugged month. They also use the name Hildmonat or stormy month. Spring showers, right? Storms are associated with violence and war, so it makes a lot of sense. Yahweh, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh or the highway for some people. Yahweh was one of these storm gods, just like Mars or Ares. Anglo-Saxons called it Easter Monat in honor of the Teutonic goddess Easter or Eostra. And there's a lot of debate uh, about that. Uh, a lot of uh, scholarly discussion on where exactly these names came from. Uh, the Teutonic goddess isn't technically called Easter, like in an English sense, it's Easter. Or, But there is a goddess, Easter or East, uh, uh, Eostra, some call her Esther, she is a deity of spring and light. Um, even if it's even if it's purely conceptual, um, in, in which is what most gods and goddesses are, uh, the goddess of spring is a goddess of light uh, and a goddess of uh, well the changing of the seasons and the and the daylight and and all that. Uh, she is also known as Eostra, as I said, and that is a Germanic goddess of spring, as well as the Babylonian Ishtar. Ishtar. Sounds kind of familiar. Ishtar. Ishtar. Easter. Spring is known as the time of Heros Gamos, the sacrificial mating of God and goddess in classical and pre-classical times. Most traditions hold that Easter is named for the Teutonic goddess Eostra, a name in league with Ishtar, Astarte, Aset, and Isis. Contrary to popular belief, some of these traditions did not place as much significance on the spring equinox and rather than Christianity importing pagan or Wiccan uh, traditions or systems into their own, it was instead, at least in places like the British Isle, uh, that Easter traditions were imported from Christianity. In the South, it is a time of sprouting, and in the North, a time of sowing. Upon what is referred to as the occult calendar, Wiccan calendar, or witch's calendar, is the holy day known as Ostara, invariably associated with Ishtar and her egg. Ostara is dated from March 20th to 23rd, 
and now known as the holy day of Easter. It is also known as the spring equinox and signifies a rebirthing of nature through the lengthening of, uh, lengthening of days, noted especially because Easter typically falls on the day of the sun, Sunday, after the first full moon. And although the first full moon falls early uh, in early April or late March, some churches still celebrate Easter on different dates due to their current use of uh, uh, the Julian as opposed to the Gregorian calendar. Some churches do celebrate Easter on different days. The Eastern Orthodox Church uh, remembers the crucifixion because that's what this is all about. Crucifixion, uh, today's Good Friday. Tomorrow, Jesus is in the tomb. Sunday, uh, he's resurrected sometime uh, on Sunday. We'll, we'll get the time and get back to you whenever he's resurrected on that. Some Christians uh, celebrate uh, Easter, you know, basically just whenever, kind of the whole week. Uh, really hardcore Christians. But the Eastern Orthodox Church remembers that the crucifixion and resurrection took place after the biblical Passover. Uh, some Christians still celebrated the Easter celebr- tradition, I should say, the Easter tradition on the Jewish holiday of Passover. It was not until the year 325 AD when Emperor Constantine I declared Easter to be celebrated on the first Sunday after the full moon in spring. Yet another festival of light, which is what a lot of this stuff is all about. So many festivals, so many traditions. It's all just about light. It's almost always actually about light. Uh, another festival of light, it equates symbolically with the illuminated root vegetables of Samhain. Those root vegetables are the uh, radishes or the, well, the pumpkins. They didn't have those over in, uh, in Ireland uh, and uh, in all the places where we get our Halloween traditions from. But they did have uh, other kinds of root vegetables, and they used to hollow them out and put a little coal in them to light their way home. And, of course, Samhain is a... It's a last-ditch effort to save the light and the warmth and the embers of the sun before it dies out in the wintertime, the winter solstice. So it's a festival of light. It's equated, therefore, with the vegetables of Samhain, uh, the twinkling lights used at Yule, Christmas, uh, and also the bonfires of Letha, the summer solstice, and Beltane, the midpoint between Easter and the summer solstice. It marks the midpoint between Yule, the winter solstice, and Letha, the summer solstice. Uh, Janet Farrer and Stuart Farrer, in their book, write, As a solar festival, too, it must share with the greater Sabbats the eternal theme of fire and light. And that comes from the witch's Bible that people think is so evil. That book is, we actually talked to Andrew Cox from Nexus Occult Books about this somewhat recently about how the Witch's Bible is basically a book about uh, the anthropomorphizing of the changing of the seasons of nature. It's not in any way, shape, or form evil. But a lot of people misunderstand what that book is about. It's a really good book. Uh, So the Babylonian goddess Ishtar signifies springtime and fertility. She is the mother or queen of heaven in the same manner as Isis in Egypt. She's a moon goddess like Selene or Diana, and her essence is the reason for Easter being observed on the first full moon after the spring equinox. The trinity of Babylon consists of Ishtar, Nimrod, and Tammuz, whose birthday, according to many legends, is the same as Nimrod's on December 25th. Tammuz is just another version of uh, the Christ child. His birth was signified by astrological associations, specifically of the sun and its ascent on the horizon after the winter solstice. So, The sun is resurrected. The sun is born again. 
The sun is there in the sky, but it's also anthropomorphized and turned into a human, into a god, etc., etc., etc. And the Babylonians celebrated something resembling Easter or the spring equinox in respect to the return of the goddess of spring, uh, the reincarnation of nature. That's what she is. Legend says each year an egg would fall from heaven and land in an area around the Euphrates River. Ishtar would then burst forth from the egg, an action symbolizing birth, and whoever could find her would be bestowed a special blessing like those also given by Bridget on Imbolc, which is Mass, February 2nd, leading us up into Valentine's Day and all that. Of course, we find here the origin for the modern Easter egg hunts. These ritual reenactments are symbolic of the hunt for Ishtar and her egg with reward bestowed upon those finding them. This also relates to the hunter Nimrod, her husband, and later in another incarnation, her son. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. We'll talk about the world egg when we come back from break. Don't go anywhere unless you're going to subscribe or buy a book. We'll be right back. From the occult and theology to history and the paranormal, The Secret Teachings Radio Show brings you that and more Monday through Friday on GroundZero.radio. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. If you're looking to learn more in 2023, then look no further than books from The Secret Teachings. The Technological Elixir explores UFOs, artificial intelligence, and demonic contracts in the entertainment industry. Liberty Shrugged is an illuminating and nonpartisan look into American history, focusing on natural law, slavery, and the war for independence. Food philosophy is not a diet book, but it does help alleviate confusion over food industry propaganda with specific focus on bizarre ingredients that are put into your foods. And Occult Arcana is a compendium of esoteric wisdom, from theology and sympathetic magic to witchcraft, voodoo, and the origins of holidays. Get physical and digital copies of these books only at www.thesecretteachings.info. And remember, all physical books also come with a digital copy as well. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! This is David Icke, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Why else would you show up with that thing on your back just three days before President Business is going to use the crackle to end the world? President Business is going to end the world? But he's such a good guy. And Octane, they make good stuff. Music, dairy products, coffee, TV shows, surveillance systems, all history books, voting machines. Wait a minute. Welcome to the darkness. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and call up to the fall back to me. 
Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. listening to the secret teachings radio i'm your host ryan gable thank you for joining us this morning this afternoon tonight whenever and wherever you're listening around the world i encourage you to go to our website and check out the books that we have i also encourage you to go to your phone or tablet or computer and type in the secret teachings on any of the radio or podcast players maybe that's where you're listening now anyway If so, please leave us a review. I've had a real rough time recently trying to get reviews to go through. I see shows that start, they've got like 10 episodes, they've already got hundreds of reviews, and people message me and they're like, I can't leave you a review, it's not working. I'm like, I I don't know what to tell you. It's uh, We're suppressed everywhere for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe the AI doesn't like us, but if you can, I'd appreciate you leaving us a review. And as I said, we had a little bit of a rough time with the recent um, Spreaker numbers because for some reason, uh, the number of people who have uh, downloaded the show declined. Uh, I'm not sure where that came from all of a sudden. Uh, it does, there is a natural fluctuation, but this one was pretty low. So like we're, we're only going to get like 800 bucks next month, which is I, it's hard enough to live on a thousand or so. So it's 800 is next to nothing. Luckily, Aftermath We have a good deal with them now, but please listen to the show. Even if you have a subscription uh, to the show through Aftermath or through our website, uh, just download the show, please, if you have time, uh, because we get paid for that. It doesn't cost you anything. It might take you a minute or two to do that. You can just delete it (laughs) if you want. Uh, Maybe I'm trying to cheat here, but just telling you our situation would really, really appreciate it. And, uh, Hope that you have a few minutes to help us out that way. You can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. TSTradio at protonmail.com is the other email. Tonight is our analysis of the Easter celebration, the Easter festival, the Easter traditions, etc., etc., etc. You have probably uh, something that is not commonly associated with Easter, but which is really the foundation of a lot of the traditions and the symbols, and that is the moon. The moon is an egg. The moon is associated with the rabbit because of the feminine qualities of the moon, the controlling of the tides of the waters. That is uh, also uh, of menstruation, of emotions. Therefore, the moon is an extremely physical uh, representation in the heavens of the divine feminine qualities. Uh, so emotions, menstruation, the tides of the, the oceans, controlling of waters. The moon is also an egg. Of course, women carry the eggs. 
uh, fertility uh, because everything is really ultimately at its core uh, sexual in nature, a give and take, masculine and feminine. And anybody who tries to tell you different is mentally ill and clearly has no understanding of science and doesn't care furthermore because they are probably satanic in their viewpoints uh, viewpoints on the world. So the moon uh, is eggs, water tides, menstruation, emotion, and of course the rabbit because the rabbit is a symbol of fertility. The rabbit is also a symbol, not just of fertility, the rabbit is also a symbol of chastity. In fact, uh, there are uh, images uh, paintings uh, of the of the rabbit and Madonna uh, going back to the 1500s where Madonna is holding the uh, the rabbit and it's a symbol of chastity. See other depictions of the rabbit making the elixir of life next to the moon, a Mori Ippo painting from 1867, which is a Japanese depiction of the of the rabbit uh, mixing uh, that elixir there next to the moon. Uh, There's also, you know, there's a very kind of, I'd say, uh, semi-famous symbol. It's called the three hairs. I don't know if you ever heard of the three hairs. Uh, But the three hair symbol is a really, uh, really, I think, I don't want to say popular, but I want to say it's a a really uh, well-recognized symbol. It depicts three hairs running in a never-ending cycle or a never-ending circle with their their ears touching. It creates this uh, triangle shape. And you can find it actually in a lot of medieval churches in the UK. Uh, it is uh, found in uh, churches. It's found in um, in a lot of places that you, I mean, it, as an as kind of like almost like an Easter symbol. You wouldn't think it has anything uh, because of the modern usage of the rabbit it has anything to do with the church, but it has a lot to do with the church. The church uh, used it in a lot of their their uh, constructions, cathedrals, etc. All across Europe, cathedrals, synagogues even employ the three hairs. Um, it's found on artifacts, as a matter of fact, in Syria, Egypt, Pakistan, dating to the 9th century AD. Uh, the earliest example is actually found in China, the three hairs. So the three hairs are found from China to Western Europe. And the rabbit or the hair is also a uh, usually seen as a trickster in uh, North American folklore and myth and tradition. So anywhere there's a rabbit, there's probably some kind of mythology about it. But the idea of the three hairs is that it, it, it creates this optical illusion when you look at it. So every individual, each hair has two ears, but it looks like they only have three in total. So it's this optical illusion. And there's probably a lot of reasons for this. Uh, but if it, you know, it has something to do with triplicity, which is, of course, uh, the foundation of so many of our traditions. Uh, the the three hairs also uh, relates to in Buddhism. I'm not sure how much you know about Buddhism, but something called the hair of selflessness. And in the story of the hair of selflessness, there is a um, kind of the hair is like a. It's like a reincarnation or an incarnation, I should say, probably more so than a reincarnation, an incarnation of the historical Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama. And um, he is generous and devout, and he meets a starving priest, and he sacrifices uh, to provide him with a meal. And as a reward for his virtue, the hare's image was cast onto the moon. That's kind of 
really interesting because the um, the moon, like in every other culture, is associated with that uh, elixir of life. And uh, Buddha, you know, transcends the physical world. Uh, Buddha is divine, uh, the symbol of the Buddha. And so Buddha is Christ-like in this way. Sometimes Buddha's even shown riding on a white horse. I've seen depictions of that. Jesus rode a white horse. Muhammad even rode a white horse. And what is the springtime? It's the white horse of the apocalypse. So the three hairs, you find them all throughout the world. And it's not just then about fertility. It's also about self-sacrifice. It's also about virtue. It's also about um, things that are... uh, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking, more like philosophies or ways of living or civilizing attributes and things like that. But moon inhabiting and moon staring hairs proliferate across cultures from China, Japan, Korea, and others. Taoist traditions in China relate a story about a moon-dwelling rabbit who pounds together the ingredients of the elixir of life. That's probably where Uh, The Japanese depiction comes from, it comes from the Chinese story. Indigenous North and Central American cultures have also uh, their own similar kinds of myths connected to hares and rabbits with the moon, probably because uh, of uh, certain kinds of, and this is not my opinion, this is kind of like the, the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, the main line or the scholarly uh, opinion of why it, it basically means they don't know why <laughs> so they just have this this theory uh that there are these uh kind of almost animal-like depictions or something on the moon um almost like depictions of a rabbit scrawled into the moon that that's the scholarly view i i don't i've never really looked at the moon close enough to know that uh, but it has something to do with celestial powers and um rejuvenation Uh, of the earth, which is, you know, Christ and Easter and all that. But of course, rabbits, bunnies, they're very popular for fertility. Uh, In the Bible, if you read uh, Deuteronomy or Leviticus, Claude and I were just talking about Leviticus the other day. He said, where'd you read that Leviticus? Uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they, um, The rabbits are referred to as impure animals, but in Psalms and Proverbs, they are described as possessing some intelligence although they're ultimately condemned as weak. The philosopher Aristotle, he noted how rabbits could breed at a uh, really rapid pace, as most of you know. Other writers like Pliny the Elder uh, mistakenly believed that their breakneck procreation was due to the fact that the hares were um, hermaphrodites and that childbirth was shared by both males and females. So, uh that's, he was wrong about that, but uh, it is part of the reason why the fertility is so closely associated with the rabbit, because both could produce, reproduce, so that might be part of it. Uh, in medieval and renaissance art, rabbits were frequently represented alongside of Venus. She is obviously a very famous goddess, Roman goddess of love and sexuality. Of course, lust is one of the seven deadly sins, but uh, lust is uh, something we can associate with uh, sex and something we can associate with fertility. And uh, you can actually, there's a good good depiction of this. Where's it at here? Uh, Luxuria, 1426. Uh, a rabbit 
with a naked woman. You can see a depiction of that uh, if you type in Luxuria, L-U-X-U-R-I-A, Luxuria 1426. Um, It's Pisanello's Allegory of Luxuria. And uh, there is the rabbit with the naked woman. If you want to see these pictures, obviously I can't show them because this is the radio. Uh, Then there are uh, biological traits of rabbits and hares that uh, are promoted in association with fertility in cultures from all over the world that like the Aztecs, for example, uh, they said that the rabbits not only were extremely fertile, but the rabbits used to have uh, drunken parties to celebrate uh, various forms of abundance, whether that was you know children or whatever as part of the Aztec mythology. I thought that was an interesting little thing I read. Even in Europe, uh, different societies used rabbits as an icon of, uh, of various different things, but they link them to reproduction more so than anything else. According to the writings of Venerable Bede, or I think it's Bede, uh, an Anglo-Saxon deity named Aelstra was accompanied by a rabbit because she represented rejuvenation and fertility of springtime. Festival celebrations occurred in April, and it is commonly believed that through Aelstra we have acquired the name Easter as well as her rabbit sidekick, which is in a condensed nutshell, what I write in my book, Occult Arcana. So that's an interesting background to the rabbit and what the rabbit represents. Uh, The three hairs symbol found across the world. Really fascinating because it literally is found everywhere. The rabbit was extremely or vitally or critically important to the springtime festival, the springtime celebrations. Now, it's in 325 AD that Emperor Constantine I said Easter is going to be celebrated on the first Sunday after the first full moon in spring. It is a festival of light, and it has associations, therefore, with Samhain and Yule or Halloween lanterns and Yule lights, and also Yule logs, the bonfires of Beltane and Letha, and according to Janet and Stuart Farrer in their book, A Witch's Bible, the Witch's Bible, as a solar festival too, it must share with the greater Sabbaths the eternal theme of fire and of light. So when you take a look at the rabbit, you get all that, but the rabbit's only one piece of the Easter tradition. The other is the egg. The egg is also the world egg laid by the goddess and opened by the warming heat of the sun or the sun god. Some stories document that the egg came from a snake and the caduceus of Hermes shows us our DNA and the Heros Gamos through the entwining serpents. The Heros Gamos, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the uh, sacrificial mating of God and goddess. And that's what you see with the DNA, the two serpents intertwined together. In the Druidic mysteries, the Celtic mysteries, that was the hen egg uh, that took the place of the serpent's egg, uh, some cases it was a hare's egg, but it's usually uh, depicted as the serpent's egg, not because the serpent is laying an egg. Uh, usually you can see the serpent wrapped around the cosmic egg, which is sort of symbolic of the universe, and then a robberose snake eating its tail. Most cultures around the world, uh, from you have the rainbow serpent, you have Quetzalcoatl, uh, there's serpents and dragons uh, in, the, in the east, uh, Usually they're seen in different ways in the East and the West. Uh, Overall, the dragon is something that's inside you. The serpent is inside you. It's your ego. You have to slay the dragon, slay the animal self, kill the animal self. 
in order to resurrect again or to be born again, etc. But you find this from Australia to China to North America to Europe. It's literally all over the world, uh, the importance of the serpent and what it represents in these ways. The serpent's always been seen as this kind of creator, as uh, that which gave birth to the physical world, which is uh, what you find in Genesis because the serpent tricks Eve, says God doesn't want you to be like him. It's kind of the lie we're being told by transhumanists now as well. You can have eternal life and God doesn't want you to have eternal life. So plug yourself into this machine. Let us track and monitor and control everything that you do. It's safe and effective, we promise. So you find that in Genesis, Eve is tricked. That's what the rabbit is. The rabbit's a cosmic trickster. The serpent is also a cosmic trickster. And if it weren't for the serpent deceiving Eve, even Adam would not have been expelled from the garden. And then life as we know it, our civilization today would not be possible because they would have been living in the garden in eternal bliss. So really the serpent created the world in that regard. And so does it's the same with Saturn. Saturn created the physical world as well. Uh, so you find that all throughout the world, the idea of a sunrise service in some way, in some shape, in some form, is meant to hasten the arrival of spring, symbolically. And depending on what your background is and what your beliefs are, the sunrise service is meant to usher in the egg of Ishtar. Because the egg of Ishtar brings a special blessing. The egg of Ishtar would come down from the heavens. It's also very uh, Taoist, uh, which is where the world came from. It broke out of an egg. And the, uh, the egg would open up. And whoever found the egg would receive a special blessing. Kind of like the blessings of Brigid that you get for Condomas or Imbolc. Or also sometimes just called Brigid, February 2nd. The first indication that the winter time is over or will soon be over. And the blessing given through this egg is a life-giving nourishment of the goddess, or the life-giving nourishment, I should say, of the goddess, in bringing back life to a barren and cold land during the winter. In like manner to Demeter, Demeter brings life back to a barren world after those few months of the fall and the winter when her daughter Persephone is taken to Hades in the underworld. And who takes Persephone to the underworld, Hades. And what does Hades ride? A black horse. So it's an agricultural story. The black horse of the apocalypse takes the beautiful daughter of the spring and the summer down into the underworld. And then here is Demeter. She weeps and she mourns and she cries and she neglects the physical world. People starve if they don't have food. Things become really barren. And then when her daughter comes back up from the underworld in the springtime, she's resurrected, she's born again, Demeter gets happy, and she lets life come back to the world. That's the kind of story that we're, we're talking about there. Uh, you find the phrase, mad as a March hare. You've heard that phrase probably before. Mad as a March hare relates to the beginning of rabbit mating season, as rabbits are specifically known for their sexual exploits. And of course, with fertility and March and, and, and uh, really the March sexual, March sexual madness, uh, obviously fertility, eggs, you know, you get this association again, eggs, 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 fertility, fertility, fertility. Uh, I did not mention, although most of you probably know this, a rabbit's foot is lucky. You know that a rabbit's foot is lucky. And usually it is 
used as a symbol of fertility. So the rabbit's foot is worn uh, by a prospective mother and she puts it in her pocket or she wears it and it's supposed to bring good luck and fertility. I know in parts of Russia or Eastern Europe, they use, I want to say it's like, um, I think they make it out of like straw or something, but it's some kind of like, it's like a wolf symbol of fertility as well. And they use the wolf and the dog in, in Rome as part of the Lupercalia celebration. Um, like, well, I mean like lupus, lupus, Lupercalia, the word means wolf. So Lupercalia, the wolf uh, festival, and they use the blood. They have the, like the dogs and the wolves and it all has to do with fertility of the crops and of also of, of people and, you know, kind of like the Roman orgies in a way where it's just about procreation. It's about pleasure. It's all ha- it's all coming from the same place though. Uh, but that's the, they used to use like a, like a, a wolf that was made out of, I think it's like made out of straw or something, but they put that next to the bedside and then it's supposed to confer uh, on the, on the prospective mother, uh, good fertility. So fertility and luck and abundance of, well, the rabbit creates an abundance. Uh, all these things are the epitome of Easter iconography. Therefore, the white rabbit in particular is the centerpiece of Easter iconography, the white rabbit and then the eggs next to the rabbit. So there's a lot of places that this stuff comes from. Uh, the significance of white can also be seen in the myths of a white buffalo or the white horse. And um, these kinds of things are kind of like, um, it's like a newborn child. A newborn child is pure. A newborn child you know, is born naked and, and pure and innocent. And um, this is usually why you have uh, the new year anthropomorphized into a baby. And uh, the new year's baby wears a, a white diaper. It's purity. It's not soiled. It's a fresh start. Um, I don't speak Latin, so I don't know if I pronounced this right, but aperio, aperio. Uh, the Latin aperio means to open. To open, aperio. It's a significant part of March because this is considered the first month of spring in the Northern Hemisphere. Flowers are much like aperio. They open because they begin to sprout. They open their buds and this is also part of the reason why flowers are so important in relation to the March festival. Other symbols related to spring include hot buns decorated with crosses and star-shaped cakes. The latter obviously represents the five-pointed star of the goddess associating her with Venus and Lucifer, the bearer of light that is brought back to a dark and cold world. The hot cross buns are an obvious motif relating to the zodiac and sun as well as agriculture and wheat. So hot cross buns, hot cross buns, hot cross buns. These are also things that are given out during the Samhain or Halloween celebration. And uh, they're called soul cakes. And they're supposed to be representative, obviously, as the name implies, of the soul of a loved one. And you eat this soul cake and it's symbolic of you're, you're thinking about them and you're nourishing yourself with their essence or something to that effect. You can interpret it in a lot of different ways. But that is uh, the soul cake, and they also have the hot cross buns. Remember, they used to, we used to sing that song, hot cross buns, hot cross buns. That was a song we used to sing, and I went to Christian school, so that's why we sung it. But uh, the hot cross buns uh, and the, that's the star-shaped cakes, uh, the star, 
Venus, the five points. And what does the fifth point of the star represent? Well, the fifth point of the star represents resurrection. So it makes a lot of sense that on Easter, the five-pointed star would be a, um, an important symbol. There is a Teutonic Germanic myth that says, one day when the goddess Eostra was traveling through a forest, she found a bird dying in the snow, succumbing to hunger and cold. She turned that bird into a hare for their warm fur and their ability to find food easier than a bird during the winter. Because of this, the bunny, once a bird, survived. And when spring came, began laying eggs because it used to be a bird. The rabbit in question then decorated every egg and left it for Eostra as a sign of gratitude, hoping for a blessing from the goddess, just like Ishtar or Bridget. So think about that. It's a myth. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. A bird turned into a rabbit. But that means that the rabbit and the eggs and the goddess, these were things that are much older than just their associate, like the, the, the contemporary association that we're looking at tonight. Uh, these are myths and this Teutonic Germanic myth. I'm not exactly sure uh, how far this goes back, but I, I'd imagine that it has to go back much. If you already have a complete myth like that, it has to go back hundreds, if not thousands of years prior to uh, for it to be com- complete and, and have that meaning. Or may- maybe it is missing some meaning. I, I guess I am assuming a lot here. And uh, maybe it's missing. we're missing the meaning of maybe uh, there's context or pieces of the story missing. But that's, that's the idea of the rabbit from a, turning, turned into a rabbit from a bird, the goddess. Um, and then from that tradition, of course, comes uh, the collaring of eggs. Along with the idea that a rabbit left them the night before. Also, the love goddess Freya held the rabbit as a sacred character, a sacred thing, kind of like a Freya's uh, familiar, if you will, as a uh, as a, a sacred uh, animal. Uh, also, the black cat which we know is associated with witches, right? In other words, the goddess can turn into not only a black cat, but also a rabbit. So that rabbit symbol is just as much a symbol of witches. So be careful if you find that kind of stuff spooky or scary. Remember, tell your friends when they're eating those peeps or anything with red food coloring, it's made with, it was made with coal tar, car, uh, coal tar, now it's made with petroleum. Make sure they know that. And also make sure people know that if they have rabbits around, it's actually possible that that rabbit is really a witch in disguise. Because goddesses like Freya, or Freya, used to turn into rabbits or turn into black cats. This is The Secret Teachings. There's another segment after this. Hope that you're enjoying the show tonight. Hope that you have a really good Easter weekend. We'll be back after break here in just a few minutes, and we'll conclude our broadcast for this evening. Please go to aftermath.media and subscribe to The Secret Teachings. You can do it singularly or with the Ground Zero package where you get Clyde's show as well. Aftermath.media. 
or www.thesecretteachings.info. That's our website. You can subscribe there if you're already a subscriber. If you're already a subscriber, just resubscribe there if you uh, like our service. Otherwise, please listen to our shows for free. It really helps us out. We'll be right back. From parahistory and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult, you're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Hello folks, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. I hope you find it enlightening. Goddesses like Ishtar, Eostra, Ostara, and many more all played vital roles in the creation of our modern Easter, as do numerous dying gods like the Persian Mithras, who, like Jesus and Adis, was resurrected in the spring. If you read the Gnostic Bible, I know it's an evil text that erupts in flames for some people, but if you read the Gnostic Bible, mine has yet to erupt into flames. Uh, you uh, read the Nasin sermon from the Gnostic Bible. The mysteries of life were explained through a song to Atis, as revealed in the mystery schools. Atis, like Osiris, was the god of agriculture and vegetation. Here is the song from the Gnostic Bible. Whether you are the offspring of Kronos or the blessed child of Zeus or great Ray, 
Hail to you, Atis, at whose name Ray looks down. Assyrians call you thrice-lamented Adonis, all Egypt, Osiris, Greek wisdom, the heavenly crescent moon, Samothraca, uh, I always get this name wrong in pronunciation, Samothracians, venerable Adamus, people of Hymos, Koribant, sometimes corpse or god or sterile, or gothard or harvested green sheaf, or flute prayer whom the fertile almond brought forth. There's a lot to dissect there. Offspring of Kronos, offspring of time. Kronos is Saturn, the grand architect. Blessed child of Zeus or great Ray. Zeus is the chief god, creator. Ray, just like the Star Wars Ray. They're drawn on the energy of the feminine. The Ray, as in Ma, the mother, Ma Ray, Mary, the great Mary, the great mother. Hail to you, Atis, at whose name Ray looks down, looking down at her child. Assyrians call you thrice lamented Adonis, like thrice great Hermes Trismegistus. All Egypt, Osiris, the hunter, Atis. Greek wisdom, the heavenly crescent moon, that's Selene. Uh, sometimes corpse or god or sterile. All these gods are dead. Resurrected, don't have children of their own. They play the part of a um, of a sacrifice or harvested green sheaf. That is the harvested god, the killing of the king, or flute player whom the fertile almond brought forth. The fertile almond is the Visica Pisces. It is the vaginal opening. It is the female reproductive system. There's a lot to dissect in that little song. And I'll be honest with you, like I always am, that song is in my book, Occult Arcana, the Nasian Sermon from the Gnostic Bible. But I did not break down what that song meant in my book. And reading it now again for the second time, after I, or probably the third time I read it and read it again when I put it in the book, uh, now I understand what that whole song means. And uh, that's the thing is, if you don't understand where some of these correlations and ideas are coming from, don't get upset at yourself. It's a lot to remember. It's a lot to understand. It's really a language to learn. And once you learn it, you start to realize what all this stuff means. Uh, Janet and Stuart Farrer describe the festival of Siebel and her son Atis in their book, which is the Wishes Bible. I don't make money off that. I don't know these people or if they're even still alive, but it's a really great book usually pretty cheap at a used bookstore if you can find it. I'd recommend getting a copy of that because it takes you, I mean, in my book, Occult Arcana, I just take you through a general overview of the 12 months of the year and where the festivals and celebrations and sabbats fit in. In their book, uh, the first part of it is like the the origin, uh, the Wiccan origin, if you will, of where the, a lot of these, or pagan origin, where these holidays come from. So it's a really interesting book. So here's what they write in the Witch's Bible. The grim festival of the Phrygian goddess Sibyl, at which the self-castration, death, and resurrection of her son-lover Atis was marked by worshippers castrating themselves to become her priests, was from the 22nd to the 25th of March. In Rome, these rites took place on the spot where St. Peter's now stands in Vatican City. That's kind of ironic because they cut off their Peter's. Uh, in fact, uh, that... <laughs> I know that it's pretty sounds pretty barbaric. I don't know if it was literal, like literal castration. It probably was at one point. 
then maybe symbolically at another point. Uh, but that reminds me of a uh, of a stand-up bit that Lewis Black did about the Heaven's Gate cult. I think it was Heaven's Gate. And he talked about the castration. And he's like, I think that would be, you know, that, that, that would be the moment if you're standing in the bathroom with a weed whacker and your pecker, that maybe this isn't the, the group that we want to join. <laughs> and I, that's what I think of when I think of these people that castrated themselves to Siebel. Uh, but it was death and resurrection of Atis right there on the spring equinox. And now the church can say, well, since we celebrate 325 AD, the I, we celebrate Easter on the first Sunday after the full moon. We're not really associated with that whole cut our penises off thing or whatever they did to castrate themselves. That was back in March. Easter is, you know, we've got candy and rabbits and Jesus, and that's in early April. You know, this whole Adis cult, you know, that the devil came before and put that there. There's nothing wrong with the Atis cult, by the way. We just adapt and we grow and we don't cut our genitals off anymore. Well, actually, we do. Maybe these cults have been resurrected. That's something to think about. As a matter of fact, on that note, although the Aztecs and others around the world, other civilizations around the world, practiced human sacrifice, um. It probably wasn't what we think it is. Um, certainly, they sacrifice lots and lots of people. They do this in India, South America, etc. And they would uh, routinely rip the heart out of some of the victims. That's and, and it was all run by the crazy priests. Like, have you ever saw that movie, um, The Road to El Dorado? That crazy psycho priest in El Dorado? That's exactly who runs the world today. Crazy psycho priests that want to make you think that they control nature and then they want to rip your heart out. And I can't help but think that that's eerily similar to what those COVID-19 vaccines did to a lot of people. Thrombosis, blood clots, myocarditis, pericarditis, cardiac arrest, and very high numbers for women. Uh, Thrombosis, blood clot was also super high in women. That's because it targeted the reproductive system. You're just tuning in now. You thought it was about Easter. I'm talking about a vaccine. It's not about being pro or anti-vaccine. It's about being pro-science and actually reading what the companies say. It's reading about what the, the, the actual people that work on these things say. It's reading the actual inserts, and that's what they say they do. So it's like a modern cult ripping the heart out and sacrificing young people. And then it's like I read this. The grim festival of the of the Phrygian goddess Sibyl, at which the self-castration, death, and resurrection of her son, lover Aetis, was marked by worshippers castrating themselves to become her priests, was from the 22nd to the 25th of March. And in Rome, these rites took place where the Vatican is. So they went to St. Peter's Square, and they cut their Peter off. It's not a joke. And you read that, and you're like, that's so barbaric. Okay, where do you think the modern cult of castration is coming from? It's coming from the same high priests. They have new ways of ripping your heart out. They have new ways of castrating you. It's the same psychotic, probably the same bloodlines, is at the very least the same ideology that came out of, well, the priestly class of the Aztecs, of the Egyptians, uh, the really corrupt and psychotic 
that in all the mythologies, all the stories really drove the, the good gods and the civilizers away. Uh, Veracocha was driven away in South America. Quetzalcoatl was driven away in Central America. Krishna was driven away in India. Osiris, to some degree, was driven away by his brother, who tried to kill him and put him in a coffin and put him on the Nile River. It's all symbolic of the soul put into a body, put on the river, the Milky Way, sent down the river, raised as a pillar in a palace of a Syrian king, and then torn down and mates with his wife while he's half dead with a fake penis. That's literally the story because his penis got eaten by the fish of the river. It's all phallic. It's all fertility. But all the civilizing gods get driven out because these people wanted to practice human sacrifice. Quetzalcoatl, Veracocha, Osiris, and so many others taught don't kill each other. If you want to sacrifice something, sacrifice flowers and fruits to the gods. And the priests didn't like that because they were bloodthirsty heathens. Not the, not the, uh, the entirety of the civilization. I mean, think about, think about the way that we look back uh, on history today. Like if you're, if you're more on the right, you look back and you're like, oh, those people were heathens and savages. And I don't mean any offense to people on the political right, but if you're on the political left, you're like, these people were wonderful and misunderstood. And you would have had your skull cracked and your heart ripped out before you got the word wonderful out of your mouth. You're, you're delusional. Really, the reality of the situation is probably somewhere in the middle. People just like us, doesn't matter what language they spoke, what they look like, what they dress like, and their society was run by psychopaths that wanted to rip their hearts out and force them to castrate themselves. That's the same thing that's happening today. They damage your heart with anxiety and fear and terror, blood clots and forcing the muscles to, to, to contract artificially, to swell up, basically destroying the heart, killing you, ripping your heart out. And they want to castrate you. It's the same cult, folks. It never changed. It doesn't matter if it's the cult of Siebel or the cult of Atis or the cult of Set or Typhon, the cult of the... Um, the oppositional forces, and there was just a whole group of conspirators that conspired to kill Veracocha. It's virtually identical to the story of the conspirators that killed Osiris or tried, tried to kill Osiris because Osiris lives. Um, and so does Veracocha. Veracocha just flies away off of Lake Titicaca. And Quetzalcoatl leaves um, of his own accord promising to return. And you get a lot of these myths mixed in with um, you know, religious traditions like men dressed in white and long beards and robes or, you know, something to that effect. And they come on the ocean and they promise to return one day. I mean, the Knights Templar fell into that category. I mean, you know, Cortez studied, we don't need to get into this tonight, but I mean, Cortez and Bizarro, they studied. They knew what the religions were of those, of those people. And they came as the civilizing God returned on ships uh, uh, different color skin, etc. They knew what they were doing. They're taking advantage of their religious beliefs. And I think somewhere deep down, the whole idea of castration and, and harming the heart, I think a lot of that has to do with knowing that Christians in particular and get really upset about it. Don't castrate yourself. That's, that's evil. You know, they're speaking in the voice of Veracocha. Don't castrate yourself. Don't, 
Don't kill children. Don't sacrifice people. Don't rip people's hearts out. That's not good. Don't do that. It's like recreating uh, the past. And uh, these are bloodthirsty, organ thirsty. They want your organs ripped out, literally, or your organs cut off. I mean, oh my God. You got to really love Siebel to do that. Or, you know, it's not Siebel, it's, it's just some psychopath that gives you a sacrificial knife and tells you to cut your balls off. It's all in the name of Siebel, it's all in the name of Atis. Don't you want to be a follower of Siebel and Atis? Don't you want to be loved? By the community, well, if you're a man, cut your penis off and put a dress on. It's the same damn thing. Same damn thing. Uh, the month of April, the month of April is, of course, when we celebrate Easter. Today is Good Friday. Uh, traditionally, April does not have uh, the Easter celebration in it, but April is still associated with Venus by the Romans, who frequent, uh, frequently referred to it as Mensis Veneris, um, or its Latin name, Aprilis, Aprilis. The month houses the holy day of Beltan, or Beltane, on April 30th, also known as Walpurgis Night, a multi-day festival ending on May 1st. You know the history of April, right? Uh, Columbine shooting, the siege on Waco, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. By the way, the same... Uh, 24-hour period, sinking of the Titanic with those three really powerful anti-Federal Reserve rich people on board. And uh, they opposed the Fed and probably were shot in the head, probably had their throats slit, and then went down with the Titanic to make it look like it was all an accident. Someone said, you don't have, if you, you could, the, the Titanic was sinking, you wouldn't have to make sure they were dead. They were very likely to die anyway. Well, that's the whole point. A uh, great example. In fact, that's what I think happened on the Titanic. I think it's the same thing with, um, uh, it's like that movie, oh, what was it? The Sherlock Holmes movie. I think it was the second one with Moriarty, which I, I liked that one. I like that actor. He's a good actor. Um, and they they kill, they have this assassin. He's like a soldier turned assassin and he kills this diplomat. And then they then they detonate a bomb. And uh, when Sherlock goes in, he notices that the one of these guys has a bullet hole in the head and that it, the, the, the bomb was just a distraction from killing this diplomat. That's what the Titanic was, I think. It was a distraction from killing these three money changers, these powerful uh, business corporate elite tycoon type people who opposed none other than J.P. Morgan. And it was J.P. Morgan's private estate, Jekyll Island, where the Federal Reserve Act was crafted by not lawyer, uh, lawmakers and not politicians, but by bankers and uh, corporate interests. Just like how the Obama uh, healthcare, uh, Obamacare Act was passed by insurance companies. The insurance companies wrote it. They don't care about you. And who owned White Star Line that owned the Titanic? J.P. Morgan. Couldn't get much more coincidental than that, could you? Because it's not a coincidence, that's because it was a planned event. And there's also some Jesuit hands involved in that. Just like the collapse of the church today and the promotion of a one-world currency. Who's behind a lot of that? Jesuits. Not a coincidence. So anyway, there is your Easter show. There's your rabbit, your hare, your moon, your eggs, your fertility. I mean, those are the big... Big aspects of Easter. 
Easter basket. The basket is just a symbol of abundance. Uh, the basket is a symbol uh, like a cornucopia. It's basically the spring version of the fall cornucopia. That's what the basket is. So everything I told you tonight, it's all in my book, Occult Arcana. Few things kind of off the the cuff that aren't in the book that, you know, I just, I learn new things and I learn new things as I do the show. And I think, oh man, I should have added that to the book or I <laughs> should have, sometimes after the show, I think of more things. Uh, that's interesting. Should have added that to the show. Um, sometimes a little bit, a little bit too hard on myself. But anyway, that is the Easter show, but there's, there's still a little bit more. So don't go anywhere yet. There's still a little bit more. Let's take a look. Let's go back to that uh, story about the peeps. Mention the peeps. Well, I should also mention this again. $24 billion is expected to be the, the, the rough estimate of how much money we spend on Easter this year, according to the National Retail Federation. I don't think that, in, I, I, or I do think that would include inflation. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know for sure. It doesn't say in the, the report that I pulled up. Uh, but $24 billion, that is a record. 81% of Americans are going to celebrate Easter this year. It's estimated, but little less than that. It's about 81%, a little less than that, though, because that was as of last year, a little less than 81%. Believe in God. So more people actually celebrate Easter now than believe in God. It's kind of interesting. More people believe in the commercialized versions with no concern for the traditions and less people believe in God. There certainly is an assault on God. There certainly is an assault on Christ. There's an assault uh, also on Islam and Judaism, and there's an assault on anything that could oppose the authority of the state. Just take a look at what Joseph Stalin said about God and religion. So this is an article that has nothing to do with Easter time, but it is nonetheless important because it relates to Easter time. And it's something that is so obvious, I shouldn't have to tell you, but it's also so obvious that we sort of overlook it because it's so obvious uh, super duper high, high uh, sugar foods, ultra processed foods with added sugars. Lots and lots of processed foods, Oreos and Hostesses, and what are those little donut things called? Uh, what are those called? Edamons or something? Little donuts. I used to eat those. I used to like the. I never liked Hostess. I did like the Edamons donuts, though. Those were good. Uh, Oreos, right? I used to like Oreos. Oreos were kind of, I guess, kind of good. Uh, but there are some that are worse than others. Some of these foods that are way worse than others. Uh, Halloween candy, snack cereal for breakfast, um, all the kind of things that, you know, you probably already know because you listen to this show and that I have an issue with a lot of these things. Maybe that's what sets the secret teachings apart. Like, oh, I want to hear about aliens and UFOs and the occult and how... But wait, he doesn't totally hate religion, but he also kind of supports it. But then he also kind of trashes it, but he also kind of believes in it. And like, what is this guy? Like, He's telling us that he's a vegan and he doesn't eat a lot of processed stuff. And that's confusing because people that are interested in these things usually eat a lot of stuff. It's just, I think it confuses a lot of people. Okay. I just go where the, I don't want to say the facts because that's cheap. I just go where common sense leads me. Okay. Candy is not nutritious. So I just don't eat candy. If you eat candy, I don't care. But I think it's interesting that red dye is in a lot of the candy you eat. So a lot of other food colorings. Parents wonder why their kids are so hyperactive. They might blame it on the sugar, but a lot of times it's actually the food coloring. 
So be careful of that this Easter. Look at the basket before you give it to your kids. Take out anything with food coloring in it. That's what really causes the hyperactivity. And that's not an opinion. That is scientifically provable. And also, if you have any really annoying climate change, anti-capitalist friends, and you see them shoving any of those kinds of things into their mouths, make sure to remind them that those food colorings are made from coal tar and from petroleum. Make sure that they know that. Because uh, you would think that they would uh, be interested in learning that so they could they could protest all the Halloween and all the Easter and all the other types of candies uh, that are available uh, during the holidays. But also be aware, because yeah, I'm a vegan, I'm a vegan, but I'll tell you this, I don't eat vegan food, okay? Because vegan food is disgusting. I just eat food. I don't eat vegan food. I don't eat other kinds. I just eat food, all right? Uh, like tonight, what I have tonight, just as an example. I eat brown rice, black-eyed peas, which were just unbelievably delicious, uh, chopped up sweet potato, some uh, some greens, and then I blended tahini, uh, probably a good thumb, thumb and a half size of like ginger, like an actual ginger root, uh, and then a little tiny bit of like miso, which I use chickpea miso, and then a little tiny bit of pepper, and a little tiny bit of like, I use coconut aminos instead of soy sauce, but a little tiny bit of coconut aminos. Blend that up. You get this unbelievable ginger dressing and put that over the, the greens and the brown rice and the sweet potato. And uh, it's, it's not, uh, I'm not just eating apples, folks, but I'm not a vegan. I don't eat, I'm not going to have vegan candy this weekend because it's gross. Vegan candy is disgusting. As far as I'm concerned, it's just as bad as regular candy. Uh, and I mean, here's an example. Go to Whole Foods or go to go to the internet rather. You probably not go. Don't, I wouldn't encourage you to go to Whole Foods, but go to Whole Foods and look at their look at their chocolate bunnies. I mean, granted, it's probably better than a Reese's cup, but it's still filled with all kinds of garbage. How about Sour Patch Kid bunnies? Sour Patch Kid bunnies. I mean, what 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 is in a Sour Patch Kid bunny? Just the same kind of garbage in all the other food. It, it, for most people, it's just about the animal products. But this is why people say, well, look, uh, Sour Patch Kids are vegan. Look, uh, look, look at that. Th- those Oreos are vegan. Yeah, it's gross. It's gross. Let me show you what's in Sour Patch Kid uh, bunnies, Easter bunnies. These things are literally poison, literally poison. It's not a it's not a, a talking point. It's not rhetoric. It's literally poison. At the very least, please, my God, for the sake of the children, if you're giving your kids Sour Patch Kids this year and they're shaped like bunnies, please throw them out. Give them the Snickers bar. I mean, these things are just totally and absolutely probably the worst thing you can put into your body. Listen to this. And remember, ingredients are the most to the least. Sugar. They're literally just sugar. Invert sugar. Corn syrup. Modified corn starch. Also, tartaric acid. What do you think tartaric acid is? Citric acid. That's also derived from corn. Genetically modified bacteria. But the most disgusting are natural and artificial flavors. Titanium dioxide. Yellow 6. Red 40. Yellow 5. And blue 1. There's your hyperactivity. There's your skin rashes. There's your acne. There's your depression. There's your anxiety. There's your stress. 
There's your contributing factors to all that, not to mention the sugar. So please, this Easter, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to give your kids candy, at the very least, do not give them the Sour Patch Kids gummies because they are gross. (laughs) They are literally poison. Sugar activates the same part of the brain as heroin. That's not a debate. Same part of the brain as cocaine. That's not a debate. And these food colorings are known to cause internal and external and mental problems, uh, particularly with kids. And that's something you you probably want to um, avoid that. Uh, otherwise, enjoy your Easter. Enjoy uh, family, friends, whatever it is that you do for Easter. I don't know what people do. I haven't really had you know Easter with anybody or any for a very very long time, so I don't know what people do. But enjoy your Easter. Enjoy your candy, your chocolate. Uh, hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. That's uh, pretty much all we have in our basket for tonight. I hope that you go get a copy of my book, Occult Arcana, and uh, maybe Food Philosophy as well. You can get physical and digital copies at www.thesecretteachings.info. You can resubscribe to the show on the website, or you can go to aftermath.media and subscribe. See, Aftermath pays us a little bit now for those subscriptions. Whatever you subscribe, we get a, a percentage of that. We make most of our money from book sales, though, and from our Spreaker, which is all the free shows if you're not a subscriber. So you listen to the show, you download the show, we get money back from that. That's what keeps us on air. So please do that. www.thesecretteachings.info That's www.thesecretteachings.info rdgable at yahoo.com Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Have a fantastic Easter, Eostra, Spring Equinox, Pagan, Wiccan, Christian holiday, whatever it is to you, Holy Day. And we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Parahistory and the paranormal to the parapolitical and para-occult. You're listening to The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. You know you can listen to The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on Ground Zero Radio. I don't need it. Or in the free archive on our website, thesecretteachings.info, or on any radio or podcast player or application. I don't need it. But you can also subscribe to our ad-free archive, now hosted by Aftermath.media. Definitely don't need it. There's the basic and premium option. You get the montages, my digital books, and more. For those of you who already have a Secret Teaching subscription, you can still keep that subscription. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info or aftermath.media and subscribe today. I need it! If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana? Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Or if that's not enough, check out Good Philosophy 
All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings, but most importantly, it supports you. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows with your host, Ryan Gable. I hope you find it enlightening.